0: We are in the midst of this sermon series, um, as you know, on uh, the book of First Peter, we've called the, the, the series Exiles, and the reason for that, right, is because Peter is writing to a church that has been in many ways exiled by the world around it. They are sojourners, they are strangers, temporary uh, aliens walking a, among a secular and even hostile world trying to figure out w- what it is to live my faith in the midst of that context, and this morning, we, we come to really like this midpoint of the letter uh, where uh, you might even think Peter is wrapping things up, but he's not. You've listened to my sermons enough to know that every once in a while, a preacher gets to that point where you think you're going home, and then he gets a second wind and keeps going. That, that's kind of the flavor this morning, and we're going to read 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to read verses 8 through 12 together. Let's, let's now prepare our hearts for God's word. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing." For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Thanks be to God for that. It was in the dead of night, February 1954, and Jim Lavelle was on a routine training mission in his F2H Banshee off the coast of Japan. He said the night began just like any other. He had ascended from his naval carrier like hundreds of times before that, but as he climbed up into the night sky, without warning, all of his directional instruments went dark. His entire panel had short-circuited, and suddenly all Lavelle could see was black. Outside the plane was total darkness. Inside the plane, he was completely blind. Many of us would wonder what to do next in this moment, but thankfully, Jim had been trained just for this day, and he knew that the ship below him had stirred up a cloud of phosphorescent algae in the water, often in those waters, and he said if he could find that, Lavelle knew he could find his way back home again. Jim said that night after Hours of searching, this glowing wake illuminated his path and saved his life back home. And we've been spending months now looking at this, this letter where Peter lays out a case for how the church might be that kind of light in a secular and even hostile context. And I feel like that image is really perfect for this morning's lesson because, as I said, we've come to this mid-summary of Peter's letter where he says to this early church, here are five specific virtues, and now these are my words, that make you light to an unbelieving world. If you want your witness to be lit up like that runway in the water, to be a a beacon of hope to those in despair, lost up in the skies, Peter says you should guard and protect these five virtues of your life. That's what I want to cover with you this Memorial Day weekend. I want to invite you to consider five ways that we as a church might improve our witness as we seek to search out those who are lost. We'll call them the five virtues of of the illuminated church. Look at this again with me at verse eight. Look at these five things. An illuminated church is first unified in mind. Second, it lives unmatched sympathy. Third, it keeps brotherly love. Fourth, it bleeds a tender heart. And fifth, in all things, it remains humble. Five things that make us a light to the world. Unity, sympathy, love, compassion. And humility. So let's look at those five together. Let's unpack that. Let's just start with this idea of unity. What does it mean to have a unity of mind? Why why would that be important to Peter? Why why would that matter for the church? You know, you think about it, one of the the key words of our day is unity. Have you noticed that? That word gets tossed around all the time. Uh, I think of uh, John Lennon and his famous song, Imagine, all the way back in 1971, right? We all know the words. Lenin had this dream that the the world would be one, that we would be singular. He says, imagine no religion, no country, a a brotherhood of man, right? This wasn't just a song, we know this was a revolution. Lennon wanted to wipe out the name of God if that's what it took for the sake of unity. And today, you think about that word, it's morphed even further. This is really the buzzword of progressive secularism. We have unity parades unity trainings, unity days of celebration. All the while, you and I know we've really never seen a nation more divided. So it seems to me we should acknowledge there's, there's quite a bit of baggage and even some confusion that comes with this kind of an idea of unity. What does Peter mean when he calls on this persecuted church to be unified in their mindset? You know, one of the first things that I think we think of when we think of unity in the church is that it, by its very nature, is the opposite of division, right? Like That's the basic root of what it means to be unified. And, and we all know a unified body when you see it. it it's an inspirational thing in and of itself to, to belong to something bigger than you, to watch its direction and purpose be solidified. You can walk into an office and you know pretty quickly if the staff is unified or divided, right? Or kids, they, they know full well without even speaking it if mom and dad are unified or at odds, even if they can't define it. So it would make sense then that, that Jesus would begin this, this design of his church by his own words for us to be unified as a beacon of light and our witness to him. That's his plan. In fact, I'll show it to you. Look at this, John 17, 11. Jesus says, Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Paul lays this out in Philippians 2, 4 to 5. He says, let us not look to our own interests, but to the interests of others. Have the same mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He clarifies this in Romans 12, 16. He says, live in harmony together. See, but unlike the secular realm, the virtue of unity in the church is not about oneness for oneness sake. Unity is not the end goal or the inspiration in of itself. It's the means to the goal. Peter says have a unity of mind. It's not then that that our thoughts are identical or that we don't have disagreements among the body, but, but for the Christian, our goal is to ultimately seek the mind of Christ in all things. That we would dwell in his word and that we would find this unified purpose and direction in him. You know, one of the reasons that I love being a part of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church I don't get too caught up in denomination land or, or, or what those things mean, but we have this motto that strikes me every time I hear it. It is in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, in all things love. We're gonna unify ourselves around those things that are most important. In non-essentials, we're gonna offer some liberty, and in all things, love. Now, that's not to say that doctrine doesn't matter or that the details of our faith aren't important, but it is to say that we must keep the main thing, the main thing. And what is the main thing? It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, the world says we're called to be unified around the passing agenda of the day, but the Bible says unity is only found in Jesus' name. And the reason that that shines so bright in the oceans below, right, is that our mission field, as much as it likes this word unity, it's actually suffering every day in division and fragmentation and isolation. We have people flying around, lost in the dark. You know, very few people, if you think about it, very few in this lifetime will experience that word in its fullness as God intended. Peter says we should be unified in mind, seeking the same mind that is Christ Jesus. You know, I think so often in church land, we we end up defining ourselves by what we're against. We say, well, we're not that and we're not that. We know we're definitely not that. But sometimes we forget to talk about what it is that we're for. There, There is a world that needs to hear and experience the good news of Jesus Christ, right? The gospel is the home base that we light up. And we do so by committing to work together to that end. And if we're doing this unity thing well, then what should come alongside it, right, automatically is this second virtue that Peter calls sympathy. Look at this. Here's the word in Greek. Let's get nerdy. The word is sympathes, right? Sum meaning with, pathos meaning suffering. With suffering. I was on a call earlier this week with a colleague's group of pastors, and we've been meeting for years now. And every other week, we meet together to pray and support each other. And as as you know, inevitably, the way that life goes and ministry goes, one of us will occasionally hit turbulence. And as we were listening to one of our brothers share kind of his heartbreaking story, I, I watched on the call as the other pastors got choked up. And I thought, man, we've arrived. You know that you are tight with your brothers or sisters in Christ when they can feel what it is that you are going through. That's sympathy. Here's what else sympathy looks like. Look at this in Romans 12, 15. Paul says, we rejoice with those who rejoice. We weep with those who weep. Or look at this in 1 Corinthians 12, 26. Similarly, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And you can see then how our unity dovetails with sympathy, right? If we are one in Christ, how can you not enter that space together? Here's how that virtue becomes that bioluminescent light, right? That is exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. Jesus defined that word sympathy. It, it, it quite, means to, quite literally means to enter in, to, to be with. Look at this in Hebrews 4.15. says it almost verbatim. We do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus is the essence of that word. Sympathy is to have understanding, right? Common feeling for what others are going through. And more than any human being to ever walk this earth, Christ knows exactly what it is to be you. Sympathes. And that's how we witness our faith. We share the unity of mind that is Christ Jesus, and then we lock that up in sympathy for one another. And before you know it, the world comes to see what Peter calls brotherly love. Unity, sympathy. Third this morning is brotherly love. Just a few weeks ago... uh, or a few years ago, Jeff Bezos and his Blue Origin project became a reality and he began to send his first clients into space and you might remember William Shatner was one of those. Got to experience space on the big screen his whole life and finally got it in reality. And after the big day, Shatner sat down for an interview and he was asked how it was, how how the experience went. And Shatner said just as he began to experience this weightlessness, He said everything he thought he would feel in that moment was wrong. He expected euphoria and excitement, but he said space felt cold and empty. He said it was void of people, void of meaningful relationships. And he said as he looked to earth, he got this overwhelming sadness, longing to be back home. The point is, you and I know for hundreds of thousands of people, they don't have to go to space to feel that same feeling. Right, I've said this before, I'll say it again. One of the biggest differentiators in this life is true and authentic relationship. It is to truly care for someone else, right? To do life together in Christ and in his brotherly love, that's the game changer. That will set us apart from everything else we know. Peter says the church should be about brotherly love. And you know, the Bible parses this out, all kinds of different love. The Bible's obsessed with this word love. There's agape love, that's God's love. There's eros love, that's romantic love, storge love. But the love that Peter speaks of here is philadelphos love, philos love, brotherly love. You know, this is where the name Philadelphia came from, right? Brotherly love, city of love. And here's why this matters. This is the kind of love that creates such a powerful bond among friends that they end up starting to look like family. Jesus could not have been any more clear. If you want the world to know who I am, he said, that's your starting place. Look at this in John 13. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, so you also are to love one another. Why? What's the purpose? What's the reason? Because by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. How will they know? How, how will they find that the carrier in the dark? They'll know by the way that we love each other. As one scholar said, he said, we live in a world that returns evil for evil, right? The mantra of our day is violence for violence, slander for slander, insult for insult. But the church is called to something radically different. Paul articulates this outright. Look at this in verse 11. He says, in love, we return that evil and we do good. When we see violence around us, we instead are called to pursue peace, which I think is so appropriate for Memorial Day weekend, right? Because we know tomorrow is not about hot dogs and parties in the great outdoors, though we do love all that. It's about remembering what a sacrificial love looks like. And think about this, the pinnacle of that. That's Jesus Christ. And therefore, that's the love that we emulate. Because the fact is, when we don't love each other well, as Christ loved us, we lose our Christian witness. We lose it in our homes, we lose it in our marriages, we lose it in the church. Here's how we light up the dark. Have the unity of mind that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, share in sympathy for one another, live by brotherly love, and Peter says, then fourthly, keep a tender heart. Keep a tender heart, Paul, I love how Paul and Peter play off each other. Look at how Paul explains this in Ephesians four. He says, "Be kind to one another, tender hearted forgiving each other as God in Christ forgave you. you know, I think one of the challenges of living on this side of eternity is trying to keep a tender heart, a kind heart, a gentle spirit. A, a few weeks ago, I was in a grocery store and I was sort of waiting impatiently for the the checkout line and this little one and a half year old girl was up on her mom's shoulder looking back at me and as her mom was getting all the groceries put on the scale the the girl started playing peekaboo with me she'd kind of peek her head up and she'd kind of wave and i'd wave back and she'd get shy and giggle and then her mom would set down some groceries and she'd do it again peek up and then get down and be shy and giggle she walked out of the store and i walked back to the car i i thought to myself man How sad is it that life takes that innocent joy away from us? You know, the fact is that this tender heart thing, it's not a default lifestyle, right? The Bible tells us the heart is actually deceitful above all things, that we by nature actually have hard hearts. And I think the difficult part of this life is it's not long before that hardness of heart gets even more exposed, we bear these heart wounds. We, we get scabbed over and wounded people wound people. And the reality is that the heart can become more like a rock and less like a light. And before you know it, it's at the bottom of the ocean with your witness. And Peter says, the church does the opposite. The church keeps its witness with a tender heart. The Greek word here is compassion. And again, why does this matter? This matters because this is Christ, right? We, we live compassionate lives because that's what Jesus did for us. It's not up on the screens, but James 5, names the Lord as full of mercy and compassion for us. If we are the body of Christ, we should be an extension of that tender heart. Charles Spurgeon once called it the gentle of our gentlemanliness, See, earlier we talked about sympathy, right? And and to have sympathy is to have feelings about what someone else is feeling, but to have compassion, to have a tender heart, that leads us then to action. Here's Jesus, he comes in sympathy, we know this, fully human, fully God, takes on flesh, comes to experience what it is to be you and I, but even more than that, what does he do? In his compassion, he wraps himself up, not just to be one of us, to know what it is to be us, but to save us. I'm no movie buff, but I recently read about the movie To End All Wars, anybody ever watched that? It's apparently a true story with these Scottish prisoners in this Japanese prison camp in World War II. And in the movie there's this scene where these Japanese soldiers arrive back to their own camp and they've been brutally tore up in battle. And as this truck full of these wounded soldiers approaches their camp, the prison captain sprints out to the front of the truck, and he tells his comrades, you can't come in. All these soldiers are sitting there literally licking their wounds, but from his perspective, they should have been out on the field dying in honor. And so as this standoff continues, the, 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 the captain of this, uh, this prison camp, he pulls out his sidearm, and he actually points it at his own countrymen, and he tells them, leave or die. Well, a soldier takes the hint, tries to start the truck and head back out, but it won't turn over. And as the standoff continues, the Scottish captain, one of the prisoners among his men, he begins to feel sympathy for these these enemies in front of him. And he knows that they're the foe, right? But it's a truck of human wounded people. And so he begins walking to the truck to give these men some water, and as the Japanese captain sees this, he screams at him, get back to your own men, get back to your own men. But in complete defiance, the major says, these are wounded, dying human beings, they're no harm to us. He hands the water to the driver, the captain of the Japanese walks away in silence, dumbfounded. What is compassion? It is to live in such a way that even when we face our own enemy, our mentality speaks to us that these are spiritually dead human beings who as humans need to hear the good news and the love of Jesus Christ. They're no harm to us. For in Jesus Christ, not even death can separate us from him. See, that's how an extended church lives its witness to an unbelieving world. Unity, sympathy, brotherly love, compassion, And Peter says, in the end, our witness comes alive in our humility. You know, I think it's worth noting, Peter begins and he ends this list with the importance of mindset. He says at the beginning of the list that we should be united in mind, and he returns with this exhortation at the end for us to be humble in mind. And as you think about it, like, it's really hard to have a unified mind as a body without a humble mind. In Greco-Roman society, when Peter gave that lesson, it was much different than today when you can virtue signal with humility all the time. It was anything but a virtue to be humble. To be humble in Peter's day was to be weak. It was to be mocked, laughed at, humiliated. But again, the reason that Peter names this virtue as something significant for the church is because it points the world to Christ. Look at this in Philippians. One more time, look at this Philippians 2. Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We've read that. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, humbled himself, being born in the likeness of men. What is humility? Humility is that which puts me last in interest ahead of you. You see this? Every one of these virtues, they ultimately point us to the way of Jesus. To how Christ lived. That, that algae in the ocean, you know, as the, as the Holy Spirit stirs us up, we should be the light pointing the world back to Christ by those five things. You know, today you may or may not know is Pentecost Sunday. It's it's a Sunday where around the world the church remembers the coming of the Holy Spirit and, and the birth of his people. And we believe still today that Though we are many different people and we all bring different gifts, in humility and in unity, we all follow the same spirit. Unity, sympathy, love, compassion, humility. And hear me out. Please hear this. We don't live this way in order to earn extra credit with God. This is not a do better sermon so that you can earn God's graces. If if you have put your faith in Christ, you already have his mercy. That's why Peter gave us this list. But the reason that that these virtues are given to this exiled church is every one of them points an unbelieving world back to the one who saves. And what do we want to be? What have we said as a church we want to be? We want to be a church to call home. So here's, here's my challenge this week. What if you just picked one of those five virtues and really in prayer ask God where you can lean into that virtue better to witness your faith? How can we be an agent, agents of unity among our families in our marriages and our community? How can we show someone sympathy in a very intentional way this week and lean into their feelings with them? What does it look like to let God's love spill over you uh, into a ridiculous way? How might God make your heart more tender and where does your heart gotten rock hard and needs to be made into love again? And humility what would happen this week if you practice putting someone else above self? Let's ask God to help us with our witness as we look to him, the author and perfecter of our faith. We pray with me? God, we know full well that we live in a world of directionless despair. We know full well that there are many feeling lost, feeling broken, feeling desperate, knowing that uh, the, the answers that are before them are dark. So God, we pray, would you make us that illuminated path? God, would you continue to bond us together in the spirit of unity, Lord, not for unity's sake, but would we be a people that gather around your word? And Lord, would we differentiate ourselves from the world and the unity that we have in your word, that when it speaks, we will live. God, would you give us sympathy for each other, Lord, that that such as when one is weeping, we all weep. When one is rejoicing, we all rejoice, Lord, and that we would be a community that someone would walk into and experience unlike any other community, Lord, that they would feel brotherly love amongst the brothers and sisters in a real and tangible way. God, we know this valley is full of, uh, of those who are coming, seeking something, and yet when they come here, they often find themselves isolated, And, Lord, we know that the the trails and the mountains, as beautiful as they are, they will only bring you so far. And so, God, would you make us a home for the homeless? God, a place where compassion is the key to our witness. And, Lord, above all, we want to be a humble servant for you. Would you give us the humility, the same mindset that was in Christ Jesus, Lord? God, help us to do those five things this week. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.